Amid clashes in the Red Sea, Navy leaders are asking, where are our ship lasers? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. So in the Middle East area, but you know, globally, really, these are really attractive options for protecting sailors, protecting ships, even protecting forces ashore. Analysts and service leaders say that despite decades of research and development, plus billions of dollars spent, such systems have yet to enter the surface fleet and the broader military in a meaningful way. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Jonathan Lairfeld. Today is Monday, January 29th, 2024. Colin, Megan, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thanks for having us. Um, Colin, I'll start with you. First of all, are these directed energy weapons science fiction or are they reality? So I'm guilty of writing in the past that they're making the jump from sci-fi to reality. So I they, they are reality. Um, it's just a matter of how how widespread these directed energy lasers and high power microwaves actually are. Um, there's been production of, of certain systems on both sides on lasers and microwaves, but their their deployment in the military is is pretty short-lived so far. Got it. So what would high-energy lasers and high-power microwaves offer the U.S. surface fleet? And what do analysts say directed energy weapons could offer to, for example, a destroyer in the Red Sea? So the the people we spoke to really said lasers and microwaves will play into this idea of a layered defense, having different tools for different scenarios and different ranges and, and different threats. The experts said one will never really replace the other in the in the near or medium term. You're not going to see a laser replacing, you know, a standard missile two by any means. Um, one one is more novel. One is more traditional and trusted. In the Red Sea, you're seeing a lot of drones and missile attacks. Uh, the Navy has handled those with uh, a range of weapons, though they won't really tell us what they're using on a case by case basis. Um, but directed energy on a destroyer in the Red Sea could take down a drone. Or, or potentially a, a, a small agile boat. And if I could offer a little historical context, um, so we think about swarms or even individual small threats coming towards a ship, coming towards a military unit. Um, think about the USS Cole attack. I mean, it was in port and a small boat laden with explosives came and did a lot of damage to that ship. Now, if you think about something like a high-power microwave system, it would basically fry the engine of that small boat and render it in, unable to approach a ship. So in a situation like that, you don't necessarily want to take lethal action. If you're unsure what the boat is doing and who's on board, you don't want to start shooting at people, but you also need to be able to protect the ship. So something like a high-power microwave would be very useful for protecting ships in port. Um, you also think about Iran's naval force, you know, they send swarms of small boats to go harass U.S. Navy ships and other allied ships. Um, Again, something like a high-power microwave or even a high-energy laser would be able to stop them from these harassing activities without actually shooting at anybody or sinking any of these boats. So in the Middle East area, but, you know, globally, really, these are really attractive options for protecting sailors, protecting ships, even protecting forces ashore without 
killing anybody without, you know, shooting down an, an airplane per se, you know, just really deterring them from coming and posing a threat. I want to talk more about what's happening in the Red Sea. But before that, Megan, how many U.S. Navy ships actually currently have these laser capabilities? So none of these lasers are programs of record right now. The USS Preble is an Arleigh Burke class destroyer, and it has a prototype of the Helios program. Helios is one of several efforts to mature this technology. So the Preble has one. Um, the USS Portland, which is um, a San Antonio class amphibious ship, they have another that was developed by the Navy. Um, it's really a follow-on to the laser weapon system um, that USS Ponce had about a decade ago. Um, so you can see how slowly some of these development efforts move. Um, but it, again, a, a different group of scientists evolving this technology. So you have two different kinds of ships um, with two different types of lasers, two different energy levels coming out of them. But that's, I mean, that's as far as the science and the program development has gotten so far. So the idea was that the Navy would be in a position to take these prototypes, take the operational lessons the crews are learning, um, take the maturity work the scientists are doing and create a program of record. But we just haven't gotten that far yet. I would also follow up saying, you know, that the Navy isn't alone in its directed energy efforts. Um, I know what we're talking about here is very ship centric, but the Army the Air Force and the Marine Corps also have all their own uh, directed energy investments going on as well. So let's talk a little bit deeper about what's going on in the Red Sea. Can you remind listeners of the state of play and how the Navy's currently responding to drones and missiles that are getting fired at or near Navy ships and commercial vessels in the area? And then how do analysts say directed energy weapons could help the U.S. in those situations? Houthi forces ashore in Yemen have been shooting a barrage of different types of missiles as well as these one-way attack drones at Navy warships in the Red Sea. They've been shooting them at commercial merchant ships just carrying goods uh, to various commercial ports, and they've also been shooting them towards Israel. Now, the U.S. Navy and its allies are certainly capable of shooting these down with their traditional weapons. Um, we've heard that there's at least 60 different missiles and drones that have been shot down. Uh, we haven't gotten a good accounting of all the weapons that have been used, but we know that the standard missile too has been used in at least some of these engagements. Um, so it certainly works. Uh, the SM2s can shoot down these threats. However, you're essentially shooting um, a multi-million dollar missile at a very cheap drone um, in some cases. And so, you know, it works. It's sustainable for now. But the idea is that a laser weapon you know, for pennies on the dollar would be able to take out these weapons, um, these drones and these missiles and do it for a much more cost effective trade-off essentially. So, you know, it, there's obviously the upfront investment energy needed to power it. Um, so in the long term, if there's going to be ongoing engagements like this, the Navy would really like to have these laser systems on board. That way they can shoot down whatever is thrown at them in the air and not have to worry about how much money they're spending to protect themselves and their allies. Are there any drawbacks to using directed energy weapons as opposed to using other conventional weaponry? Colin, I'll start with you on that one. There are concerns about uh, a number of impediments, I guess you could call them. You know, lasers can punch holes through a variety of material, but like certain atmospheric conditions such as fog or wind can impede or distort that shot. Um, high power microwaves can have that near instant frying effect Megan mentioned earlier, um, but they're less effective at greater ranges. The supply chain and kind of manufacturing chain for these is also not as strong or, or healthy, maybe you could say, as like the traditional weapons that we've talked about. 
Um, directed energy weapons also rely on you know precious materials and components that can be hard to procure or put together or take or take a while to get going. On the shipboard side, I would also note that power and cooling is really a big challenge for the Navy when it comes to these systems. I mentioned earlier the USS Preble, an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer. Um, the current Arleigh Burks in the fleet are basically maxed out. You know, they have very uh, sophisticated radars. They have very sophisticated combat systems. They have um, defensive and offensive missiles. And that consumes a lot of power and cooling and space and weight. And they're basically, you know, the reason that the Navy is moving to a DDGX platform. When you look at something like a high power laser weapon, um, it's great, but it's not necessarily going to fit. So that's one of the concerns with the Preble testing out this Helios prototype um, is how powerful of a laser can you make it and not have it um, sort of overwhelm the ship. And, you know, the last thing you would want in combat is I fire my laser and it pulls energy away from my radar and now I can't protect myself because I can't see anything. Um, when you look at the LPDs, the amphibious ships, they certainly have more space, more cooling, more power available. So that may be an attractive option for right now, but it's really going to be a challenge for the Navy to figure out that right balance of putting a laser on a ship, but not overwhelming the power system. I also think there's um, an issue of training here, right, or familiarity. You have sailors, airmen, soldiers, et cetera, that are very familiar with the guns they've always used, the missiles they've always used, the artillery they've always used, drones they've always used. But how many of them have been around lasers, been trained to use high-power microwaves, that sort of thing? Megan, I know we've touched on this already, but which types of vessels are most likely to be able to power these laser weapons? For the time being, I think the amphibious ships are going to be the most attractive option for some of the larger and more powerful energy weapons. Um, and this could be interesting. You know, we talk about layered defense. Colin mentioned that idea earlier. Um, you never have a single ship sort of out alone <laughs> without other components of the joint force. Um, but the amphibs are interesting because they don't typically take on air defense missions, but they carry Marines who may be more inclined to be more dispersed throughout an area. So giving them laser weapons to have some sort of organic air defense capability would be really interesting. Um, now, when you look at the destroyers, air defense is one of their inherent missions. And so the Navy certainly wants them to have lasers. My hunch is that they're either going to, for the time being, have to have smaller ones that are maybe more focused on drones as opposed to missiles. Um, and then down the line, when we get into the DDGX program uh, next decade, those may be more uh, likely to have larger, higher power um, energy weapons. So, Colin, does it seem like the military is ready to adapt to this new capability? I think it's fair to say the military is adapting to this new capability or is folding this new capability into what's already out there. I think it's only a matter of time before these lasers and these microwaves become more prevalent or prominent in, in military affairs. Um, but exactly how long that will take, I'm, I'm not really sure. The Department of Defense has spent decades and billions of dollars trying to bring these across the finish line or bring these to fruition. So I, I guess time will tell. And I'll add on the Navy side, uh, it was a decade ago now that the USS Ponce, um, an amphibious ship that was supposed to be retired and sort of was brought 
back to a new phase of its life um, as an afloat forward staging base. But the Ponce was actually sent to the Middle East with the very first laser weapon system prototype. Um, and so the Navy really gained a lot of operational lessons learned. Um, it was a lower power level, um, but they got a lot of good lessons on how sailors would use it and sort of getting sailors to think about when you would want to use that weapon versus another weapon, a kinetic weapon at your disposal. Um, so they have been collecting lessons learned for quite a bit of time at this point. And I think, you know, the Navy always think once the technology is ready, the Navy would adapt rather quickly. Really quickly, I wanted to ask, are there other countries that are already employing something similar to this? Yeah, so international markets are definitely heating up. Uh, I would point to the UK and France as particularly interested in directed energy. Um, the UK earlier this month tested their Dragonfire laser successfully on some aerial targets. Uh, Raytheon UK, a division of RTX, planned to integrate a high energy laser onto Wolfhound armored vehicles um, after four days of testing in the US. And the, the company is also looking to open an advanced laser integration center in, in Scotland. That's it for us this morning. To get more of the top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at Defense underscore News and at Military Times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Jonathan Lairfield, and produced by Zimone Z. Perez. If you liked our conversation today with Colin and Megan, be sure to check out their story that they did with Jeff Zulowitz at NavyTimes.com or C4ISRNet.com. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gross. Have a great day.